as the staff gathered together and began to plan this fall, in the summer and fall worship services, thinking about school beginning again, we were looking for the topics that we thought we could worship around and that the Lord could speak to us from. And we thought together after having sung this song you just sang and getting familiar with those words, that that would be a good place for us to begin, especially here as we lean into the starting of school. Because you see, thriving is a reality that is made for us all, and yet for all of us, there's sometimes a struggle with the concept. Sometimes there's a struggle for children to thrive in school. Sometimes there's a struggle for youth to thrive in school. Sometimes it feels like things are against us and making thriving impossible. And yet we know that in that song and throughout the scriptures, God has made us to thrive. He has made us to be able to recover from the pain and the struggles in life. He has made us to be able to rise above the pain in this life. And he's given us such a measure of himself. That in that relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we find a confidence and a hope that is meant to be a beacon to the world we live in. We are not meant and have never been meant to, as God's people, struggle to the same extent and in the same way that others do. Now, I don't mean by that that we do not experience some of the same problems they do, but we do not approach our problems in the same way that the unbelieving world does. Because our hope and our confidence is that the God of goodness who loves us and made us, made us to thrive. Now, I want you to say it to yourself. The church, no, let's don't say it to yourself. Let's say it out loud. The church is made to thrive. Well, y'all might live past this weekend. Uh, let's try it again. The church is made to thrive. That's right. Now I want you to do something harder. I want you to look at the person on your right. And I want you to say to that person, you were made to thrive. thrive. Now look to the person on your left. Say it again. (laughs) Now you know what's hardest of all? Take your hands, put them in front of your eyeballs, and look at them. And say to yourself, self. You were made to thrive. And I believe it. And God has proclaimed it. And I'm going to live it. Thanks be to God. We were made to thrive. And when we talked about that, we decided we wanted to throw in some witnesses to that testimony. And in order to do that, we would ask some people to share sometimes in their lives that have been particularly uplifting or challenging in order that they might present them to us as a part of the message, the scripture, if you will, in flesh. How God has touched individuals over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing stories, either in person or on the screen, where people will share about how they have indeed faced difficult times in their lives, but they have claimed and they have experienced what it means to thrive. And when we talked about that topic, the first one I thought of, and I brought up in staff, was Robert Shirley. Robert had been doing so well lately and doing so much for the Lord, and I was aware of his journey, and I knew that some of you were aware of that in one degree to another. 
But I didn't know if he was ready to, to share that. Now, I, I want to be, let's be truthful here. Sometimes the process of getting back to the thriving is not always easy. And sometimes it doesn't occur in a week or a month or even a year or even two years. Sometimes the willingness to have confidence and hope has to stretch out farther down the road. And we are required to invest deeply in ourselves and in God so that that friendship might grow so strong that whatever it is that is pushing us down can be overcome by the God who saved us all. Then we experience thriving again. I'm going to ask Robert to come now and to share with you his experience of thriving in life. And I really appreciate his willingness to do it and others who will come during the month as we uh, move forward together. Thank you, Robert, for coming. Take his time as long as you want. That's what I do. Bless you. some faces that I love. There's a lot of people here that um, I really cherish and I really love, and I know that my family wouldn't have made it through the last three years if it wasn't for Jesus and if it wasn't for what Jesus is doing here um, and the ways he has blessed us with our family here is tremendous. Um, I want to thank Doug for this opportunity. I never thought that I would ever have the opportunity to stand here um, on a Sunday morning, um, and I don't take this lightly. This is very special, and I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Um, one of the things that anchored me in the last couple of years were some truths from Scripture, and so Doug already read from Jeremiah, but I'm going to read a few more. If these promises seem distant to you, I can assure you that there is real as the sun that rose this morning and as the gravity that holds you down and as the air in your lungs. The promises of God are what anchor us and what keep us safe. And so I'm going to read a few from the Old Testament. In Isaiah 61, this is the passage that Jesus quoted when he began his ministry on earth and he said, that he had come to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn, giving them a garland instead of ashes, giving them an oil of gladness instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of spirit of despair, that they would be called oaks of righteousness, that the Lord may be glorified. It says that they will rebuild the ancient ruins. It says they would raise up what was devastated. Later on in that chapter, it says, instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Whatever life has thrown at you, whatever has happened to you, whatever you have done, whatever has been done to you, there is redemption and there is hope in the name of Jesus. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, whom shall I dread? When evildoers came to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my, en 
my enemies, they stumbled and fell. The host camp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rise against me, in spite of this, I will be confident. And the end of this psalm says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now this psalmist knew war. We don't know war here in America. We don't know what that's like to have that threat against our very lives. But sometimes there's things in, the, in this life that threaten our lives. And sometimes we go through things that, that threaten our hope and threaten our breath. But Jesus is what allows us to believe that we can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The prophet Micah, this came to me this morning. It's one of my favorite passages. In Micah chapter 7, verse 7, but as for me, I will wait expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over, my, over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. Wherever you've been, wherever you're going, no matter what, the Lord is a light for you. And so um, <clears throat> I'm going to share a little bit of my story. I haven't been worshiping here um, for about nearly three years now. Um, in the last two years, I've been at Tyler Street United Methodist Church down in Oak Cliff. And those of you who have been here since Brother Paul was here, you remember Tyler Street, of course. Um, our youth at Tyler Street and our youth here have done some things over the last several years, which has been great. Um, but I've been there. I was an intern at Tyler Street um, the last two years serving um, with their youth, with their children, and with the worship departments. And that was fantastic. So that's where I've been. Um, I didn't fall off the face of the earth, um, thankfully. Um, I was just down in Oak Cliff. I've also been a student at Christ for the Nations Institute the last year, and I'm about to start my second year there um, this next week, and um, that's been an amazing place for me, um, and that's been a really big blessing. But the reason I'm here is because of what Jesus has done, and what Jesus has done is hard to fit into something you can say on a Sunday. I will not be long, I promise. But it's difficult to comprehend. It's difficult to put into words. Um, but something that, that happened um, a few years ago was I was having some health problems, as I'm sure many of you remember. And I just come back from England. I had gone to England to study um, at a school over there um, and train for ministry in the British Methodist Church. And um, I got very sick, and so I had to come home at, at Christmas, and my doctors here in Dallas told me that I couldn't go back, that I needed to stay in Dallas. And that was very devastating. I had made, I had made amazing friends. I had made amazing connections. There was a lot um, going for me in England, but, but my health was not where I could go back. And so I stayed here, and they did some tests. Um, they were in some blood work and some things, and things weren't adding up. There were some neurological symptoms I was having. I was very anxious. I was very depressed. It was... Um, not looking good. And so we had a brain scan done, and that brain scan showed, um, this was three years ago, I was 18 still, and this brain scan showed that I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, and we knew that much, but I was also diagnosed with OCD, with paranoia, and with post-traumatic stress disorder. And they told me that my PTSD was as bad as the men and women coming back from Afghanistan. And they began to ask questions. They were like, what's going on? Why is this? 
Um, I remember sitting in the doctor's office just absolutely stunned, like, did they, mess, did they mix up my files? Is somebody else's? This can't be me. Um, I saw the picture of the brain scan, and it looked like it was all these different colors, and they and showed me what a normal 18-year-old was like, and mine was four times overactive. And so I began, they put me into trauma therapy, and in trauma therapy, I began to realize that some things happened to me as a kid. And um, I began to understand that, and I was finally able to verbalize that um, to my mom about three years ago. And some of you know this, some of you don't, but um, when I was a child, I was sexually abused um, by a member of my family, it was my father. And that went on for several years. It began before I was in school. And the last time it happened, um, I was in middle school. And the brokenness that came from that was so widespread and so um, broad that I didn't think that there was hope. I didn't think that anything could come from this. I didn't think that I could keep living. Because of this that happened, um, fear came into my life at an early age. I remember being terrified as a child. I remember having great anxiety as a child. When I was 10 years old, I remember looking in the mirror and hating what I saw, and I felt like I had no control. And so I wanted to control something in my life, and so I decided to be anorexic. That's something that a lot of people don't talk about in church, men or women. But eating disorders are real, and Jesus died for that. If you're dealing with that, if you've dealt with that, if you know someone who's dealing with that, Jesus shed blood for that. Jesus has healing for that. And so I wanted to control something, so I controlled what I ate. Three years later, I decided that the pain on the inside was so great that I wanted to match it with pain on the outside. And so I began to self-harm. Again, something that's not talked about in church, but something that's so real. And so I self-harmed for many, many years because I wanted to control the pain that I was experiencing and the pain that I felt. And Jesus died that we might have life. Jesus died that we might have hope. And I thought I was just doing it to to cope, but what that really said was that the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. And let me tell you that the blood of Jesus is enough. When I was 17 years old, there were, I'm sure you remember, there were several funerals. I went to eight funerals in eight months. And I was a senior in high school and I had a friend die of brain cancer. We had some members here pass away. There were several um, high school students in the area that passed away, more than normal for it shouldn't ever be normal for high schoolers to pass away. Um, but there were several deaths at Hebron at Creekview. And so I went to eight funerals in eight months, and I was so broken. And I was in the youth group here, and I was student council president at CCA. And I was doing all of these things, and I felt so broken inside. Back then, I was going to um, an early church service, like a sunrise service at an Anglican church nearby. Then I would come here and I would often go to a place on Saturday night as well because I just wanted to feel God and I just wanted to fill up. And um, all that brokenness inside and all of those secrets inside were so strong, but Jesus is stronger. I heard a man say once that we are as sick as the secrets we keep. I was on a deathbed. And if you have secrets inside, I'm telling you that Jesus can heal that. There's nothing he can't heal. There's nothing he can't redeem. There's nothing that he can't make new again. There's nothing he can't make new again. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream, and it will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Whatever, the man, whatever man is intended for evil, God can use for good. We've all heard that story. That phrase is from Genesis and Joseph. After Joseph was sold into slavery and went through prison and then went through um, prestige. And when his brothers came and asked for help, he was given forgiveness. He had the opportunity to forgive, and I believe God gave him that opportunity for forgiveness. This passage in Jeremiah 17 is where, it's one of the places in scripture where it says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Not just wicked, deceitfully wicked. That's pretty bad news. But, and that is the case for all of us. We've all gotten angry. We've all gotten upset. We've all seen something on Facebook that made us want to, like, blow up. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But (laughs) we've all felt that, and we all know that. But in the middle of that is this promise. In the middle of our brokenness, literally in Scripture, in the middle of our deception, in the middle of our wickedness, is this promise that no matter where we've been, no matter where we're going, we can be planted by the water. We can yield fruit in season and out of season. We don't have to be afraid when the heat comes. We don't have to be anxious when it's a drought. We can have life even then. And so sometimes when we go through these things, it seems like God is distant. It seems like God is far away. At CF and I have a close friend that in March, we, were, um, we have a Tuesday night um, service um, that's required for students to be at. And worship was going on, and, and she had texted me earlier in the day saying that her dad wasn't doing well. Um, he had been taken to the ER. And I was at work, and I was like, oh, my goodness, and I began to pray. And that night, she came and got me in worship, and um, she was really upset. And we had some other friends there, and we went into the hallway, and her father's liver was failing. That's not good news. That doesn't sound fun. You don't want to be pulled out of worship and be told that your friend's dad is doing really bad. But we began to pray, and we were all emotional. And she said, I feel like I'm in this storm, and Jesus is in the boat, but I'm trying to wake him up, and he won't wake up. And what did the disciples feel like when they woke him up and, and all of those things? And I'm sure you remember that story of Jesus calming the storm. And those men were fishermen. They lived on the water. They weren't scared of storms, but they were scared of this storm. But let me present something to you. Jesus is one who can calm the storm, but he's the one that can calm and heal and repair the brokenness too. Those men were in a boat. I'm sure if you've been through a storm, there's maybe been storm damage. Maybe your fence was blown down or or part of your roof was damaged. That boat had to have been damaged. If If it was a storm that the fishermen were afraid of, If they said, surely we will drown, that boat had to have been damaged in some way. But let me tell you some good news. Jesus is a carpenter. He could rebuild that boat. I can promise you that no matter what you've been through, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what's been done to you, there's healing in the name of Jesus. He's not just some man that can just say, oh, I make you well and then leave. He doesn't press the play button on your life and walk out of the room. He brings healing. He never leaves. Sometimes we feel like the pain and the brokenness and the shame just buries us. I know I felt that. After I told my mom three years ago 
she can put on my father and any left. And some people would ask us, oh, where is he? <laughs> it's like, well, this is awkward because um, he's obviously not here. Um, he stopped attending this church for good reason, I can assure you. Um, and we let the right people know, of course, Doug knew um, as soon as um, we could get a hold of him. Um, the bishop's office knew, all of the right people knew. We contacted the authorities, um, an investigation began. That was the most brutal thing I've ever gone through in my life. But Jesus was with me the entire way. The police officer that took the report was a Christian. The detective assigned to my case was a Christian. When she called me to give me updates, she would speak life over me and prophesy hope over me. And if you're ever in a season where you need to hear hope, that was me. And there is healing for every hurt. And so in all of those times, I was having suicidal thoughts. I was still so broken. Two years ago today was the closest I was to a mental hospital. I never had to go to inpatient, thankfully. I went to outpatient two times where I would go from eight to five um, and then go home at night. But um, there were two weeks that I was an inpatient. Some people in this church, in this room right now, made the financial sacrifice for me to go to that outpatient place. And I am so grateful for that. Jesus has provided everything we have needed supernaturally and also through natural means as well. And I'm so grateful for that. So sometimes, um, a member of this church was talking with me once. They actually let me stay with them for a few weeks because I was struggling so much. This was in the middle of the police investigation. And she said to me, um, I was sitting with them. It was very late. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And they stayed up to pray with me. And I um, was just so broken. And they said, sometimes depression feels like you're trying to swim underwater. And I don't know if you've tried to swim underwater, but I wouldn't suggest it. It's not, you know, something you can do very easily. But sometimes it feels like you're buried. But let me tell you something about being buried. Sometimes I think that when man intends to bury us, when man intends to shut us out, to put us under, when the enemy intended to bury you, maybe God was okay with it. Because when God looks at a situation, he doesn't see what we see. Thank God he doesn't see what we see. When the enemy intended to bury you, maybe God was okay with it because God saw that. And he knows that he's the God of the harvest and he knows that he can make you a seed. And maybe he wants to make you a tree planted by the water. Maybe he wants to make you a man that trusts in the Lord. Maybe he wants to make you a tree that extends its roots by a stream. Maybe you have to go through the heat so you're not afraid of the heat. Maybe you have to go through the drought so you're not anxious in the drought because you can say, I was there and I know my God will do it again. I was there and I've seen him faithful and I know that he'll do it again. If you've been storm tossed, if you've been abandoned, if you've felt broken, I can promise you that Jesus hasn't left you. Jesus hasn't given up on you. I can promise you that he is stronger than the pain. I can promise you that no matter what the doctor has said, no matter what the counselor said, no matter what any man says, those things can be fact. That can, what the blood work says can be what the blood work says. What the brain scan says can be what the brain scan says. What the boss says can be what the boss says. But the only thing that is truth is what Jesus says. We can have facts and we can hear facts and that's great. But if you take that as truth and don't take it to the Lord, that's where things can get a little 
and settled. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. I'm saying when the drought comes, you're not going to be afraid because of Jesus. I'm saying that when the heat comes, you're not going to be afraid because of Jesus. Am I saying I'm 100% free of anxiety? No, I'm not. But I'm free from it. When it comes, I can rise with the promises that the Lord has given to me. And the, Lord, the promises that the Lord has given to me, he has given to you. Every promise of God, the word says, is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. What I've been through, what I've survived. I used to think so low of myself because I was a victim. And things got a little better. And so I was like, okay, I'm a survivor. And things got a little better, so I was like, overcomer. But more than anything, more than any progress you count yourself on, no matter what, you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, you have the full attention of heaven. You don't have to strive. You don't have to work for his attention. His eyes are on you. His gaze and his, his kindness is more tender than any damage that could happen than any brokenness that could come your way. There is healing in the name of Jesus. Coming from brokenness and being broken does not mean that you will be broken forever. I can promise you that. My heart wouldn't be beating if it wasn't for that. One thing that Doug said in the children's sermon is, one day you'll never know I had surgery on my eye. A few months ago, I had the first opportunity to share my testimony, and it was at my school um, with about 100 people. And there were some friends of mine in there that knew nothing of my story, and they were like, I had no idea. And I was like, well, I haven't been doing so great the last month, so I'm shocked you had no idea. And I wasn't expecting them to know everything, but the blood of Jesus means that the healing he brings one day, they'll never see the remnant, they'll never see the brokenness, the scars will still be there. But it means that just as in a month or so, we'll never know that Doug had surgery on his eye. We never have to know the brokenness that we went through, but we can always tell of what Jesus has done. And if we hold on to our story and keep it hidden, we neglect the opportunity to be a lighthouse to others who are crashing on the same rocks that we crashed on. And I went through this process these last three years and, I, and people would say, one day on the other side of this, on the other side of this, on the other side of it. One of my mentors texted me this morning and said, I never knew the other side of this would be so soon, but here we are. And that man is right. And I'm on the other side of this, but no matter where you are this morning, the Lord is faithful to bring you to the other side. The Lord is faithful so that you do not have to despair. The Lord is faithful and you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. No matter where you've been, there will be a day where they'll never know. In Daniel chapter 3 is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I bounced around a lot. I bounced around a lot, and I apologize for that. But when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose not to bow, they knew that Jesus was more, that the Lord, they knew that their 
dedication of the Lord meant more to them than their life. They loved God more than they loved earth. And when they came out of that fire, when King Nebuchadnezzar said, get them out, he, he told them to come out of the fire. It says that their hair was not singed. It said that they didn't smell of smoke. That's what Jesus came to heal. Jesus came to heal every trace of my story, every second of my story. He came to heal every second of my family's story, of my mom's, of my sister's. He also came to heal my father. When we've been hurt, it's so hard to forgive, but forgiveness is essential. Because if I held on to that hurt, that meant I would never be free. And forgiveness isn't easy. Forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. Don't confuse the two. But forgiveness means that we carry the heart of Jesus. And forgiveness gives, gave me a chance at life. It gave me a chance at life. It allowed me to walk in repentance and it allowed me to walk in freedom. It allowed me to walk in joy. It allowed me to walk in love and to walk in peace. You don't understand how much peace is until you've lived without it. And if you've lived without it, you know how precious it is. And so in the cracks of your life where you've been broken, would you ask God to plant a seed? Would you ask God to plant a seed of, of hope? What, what is it that makes us planted by the shores of water? What is it that makes us yield fruit in season and out of season? What is it? I believe it's the fruit of the Spirit. I believe it's the promises of God. I believe it is forgiveness. I believe it is peace. I believe it is hope. If we hold on to those things and let go of what has hurt us, that's when freedom comes. That's when healing comes. His heart is to heal every hurt that has ever happened to you. I can promise you that. I don't know your pain. I don't know your story. Maybe my story you can't relate to because you haven't had it as difficult as I might have. Maybe your story is worse. I don't know. But I know that the Lord is faithful. Because if he was faithful to every person of the last three years that came into my life and said, you're going to make it. I know you can hardly think about making it the next five minutes. I know you can hardly think about making it through the next day. I know you can hardly think about making it to the next sunrise, but you can make it. The Lord was faithful to them, and that's going to enable them to speak life over me. And I'm so grateful for my mother. I'm so grateful for my sister. I'm so grateful for, the, for the, all of the people in this room that have fought with me and battled with me and believed with me. Because Jesus is the only hope. Jesus is the only reason there's life in me. I want to share one more thing, and it's, a miracle, really. Of course, with all of my difficult, with all of my diagnoses, they put me on some medication. And at first, it was just one anxiety medication. And then they added another anxiety medication, and we would try 
one medication would go to the next, and one, and then go to the next, and this one kept me up all night, and kept me up for 36 hours, and that was fun. And this one, I would fall asleep, and if you're driving to work, it's not going to fall asleep. I made it safe, I promise, made it safe. But like all of these things, <laughs> and so I was on a mood stabilizer, I was on an antidepressant, I was on two anxiety medications about this time last year, and this time last year, last summer, I was taking 12 pills a day. Um, a friend of mine um, has an anxiety disorder, and in her profession, it gets pretty ridiculous, and um, and she takes the lowest dose, and what I would take in a day was 16 times that. I was legal, I promise. <laughs> My doctor in Dallas, he's the best trauma psychiatrist um, in Dallas, one of the best in the nation, and one day, I was in his office last summer, and I was saying, considering everything, I think I'm doing pretty okay. And he told me that when I came, I was one of the worst cases he had. He doesn't only have his private practice, he's over in mental hospital in East Dallas. And he told me out of all of my patients, you were one of the worst ones I had. When we talk about Jesus fighting for the furthest heart, when we talk about joy unspeakable, when we talk about all those things, those, those things, those promises, they were for me. They were for you. They were for all of us. That we could rise above the darkness, that we could rise above the disappointment, that we could rise above the things that have happened to us and walk in life and walk in hope and be a people of hope. And so this last year has been a crazy journey of healing. In October, um, we went to court. It was a very long process. I would get a call from the DA and they'd say maybe next month or maybe in six months or maybe in three months. And that was so difficult to get that phone call and they would hang up and go back to their job and I would be stuck where I was. But Jesus was faithful every single day and every single second of every single day. And we went to court last October and my father was sentenced and that doesn't matter. That I can tell you that when you're broken Sometimes there will be justice on this earth, sometimes there won't be for me. I was fortunate, I was very grateful that there was justice on this earth, but there will always be justice from heaven. God isn't distant, he's not, he didn't blink and miss it. And even how bad your brokenness may be, he's not gonna fall off of his throne. He's not wondering what to do, he's not anxious, he's not popping pills, trying to figure out how he's gonna get you out of this mess. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. And so over this last year, I began, after court, I began to come off my medication. My doctors would say, okay, come down to this dose, come down to this. You know, we began to work our way down and I came off of um, one of my anxiety medications early last fall and the next one in the winter. And a year ago, I was taking 12, 12 pills a day. Like, it's crazy. And I came off my mood stabilizer in January and March of this year, I took my last antidepressant. And that's what Jesus can do. That's what Jesus can do. I wasn't even six months removed from court, but that's what Jesus can do. He can reach into the cracks of your brokenness and he can plant life. He can redeem anything that you've been through. He can redeem anything. And I believe one of the most beautiful pictures of that 
that we have on this earth, one of the most beautiful reminders of that promise is Holy Communion. When I was in England, I, um, there was an Anglican church in our village that I lived in, and I would go for Mass. Every week I would go with my friends, and, and of course, um, in higher church they use wine, and they, they, they approach it much more seriously. Not seriously, that's a really horrible way to say that. I'm very sorry, Pastor Doug, that was horrendous. In a high church, things are just done differently. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for that. <laughs> there's grace that that's what, as Methodists, there's grace. I need to stop. Oh, man, this is bad. <laughs> as you eat that bread, as you taste that juice, remember how hard Jesus was in pursuit of your healing. Remember how reckless his love was. He loved us whether we said yes or not. He knew what he was getting into. He knew that there would be people that wouldn't accept it. If you're sitting in this room, you've accepted at least part of it. I don't know everyone in this room, but many of the ones I know, I know you've accepted it and You've been faithful to Jesus for many, many years, but if you're in here and you haven't accepted it, I can promise you that the promises of God are true. And if you came this morning, that means you accept at least a little bit of it. For this table is life. There's not life in this, but because it's how we remember Jesus, there's life in it. And there's hope in it. And so I would ask you to come to the table they're going to come up and do the liturgy and all the serious stuff, you know. But I want you to hear me when I say that when we come to this table, it's where we find hope. When we come to this table, it's where we find shelter. When the word says that he's a strong tower, the word means it. He's very, very serious about his word. He's very serious about his name. He called himself Emmanuel, God with us. I think he meant it. This right here is God with us. I had someone tell me once that, that if I ever had the opportunity to speak or share, and if I didn't talk about the empty tomb, if I didn't talk about the bloody cross, if we weren't reminded of that, if we weren't reminded of what Jesus went through to pay for our freedom, to pay for our salvation, then it would miss something. Not that it would be bad and not that it would be wasted, but we would miss something. And so when you come, I want you to think about that empty tomb. And because of that empty tomb, it means you can walk out of your tomb. Because of that empty tomb, it means you can have life again. Because of that empty tomb, it means that you can have hope. There's healing in the name of Jesus. I've seen people at CF and I, I've seen people get up out of wheelchairs. I saw a girl this summer at a camp that I was working. Her ears were healed. She, she had very partial hearing, and it was very hard for her to sit and worship um, because of how loud it was. And they prayed with her, and her ears were healed that night. And her friends were crying and saying, she can hear. We've known her her whole life, and she hasn't been able to hear, but she can hear. God isn't far off. God isn't far away. He's near. 
He's with us. He made it his name. So when you come to this table today, come with expectation because he's a God who heals. He's a God who restores. He's a God who takes your brokenness and he takes you when you're buried and he makes you a seed and he puts you by the water. And he takes away your anxiety when the heat comes. He takes away your anxiety when the drought comes. He allows you to bear fruit in season. Without Jesus, we'd all be a slave to fear, to our brokenness. But because of Jesus, we're not defined by it. We're defined by the fact that he loves us. We're defined by the fact that we're his. And that's the most important thing. for Holy Communion, but I'd like to pray. So if you would bow your heads with me. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for every person in this room that is sitting here, that is serving here, that is worshiping here. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. I ask that in some way that you will be seen through what I have said that you will be seen. I thank you that you know every single person in this room. You know their name. You know their hairs on their head. You know what they've been through. You know what they've done, and you love them as much as anybody. If it was only them, you still would have gone to the cross. If they were the only one, you still would have gone to the cross. And Jesus, I give you glory, and I give you honor. You are worthy of our praise. And I ask, I invite you into our brokenness. I invite you into our hurts, I invite you into the places that need healing and I ask you to do what you can do. I ask you to do what we can't see. When we see that we're buried, I ask that you would make us a seed. I ask that you would turn it all around and use it for your glory. I thank you for your redemption. I thank you for your healing. I thank you that you're a God who still works miracles. Thank you that you can redeem anything. So Jesus, I bless you. I ask that you would, you're here. I know that you're here, but I invite your Holy Spirit in a way that you haven't been here before. I ask you to come and meet us here at these altars, at this table, that we would experience your healing in a way that we haven't experienced before. We thank you, Jesus, for your healing. careful, we will be careful to give you all the glory.